Welcome to the panel. RNZ National Wallace Chapman here, Martin Bosley with me for the first time on the panel. Also, Sally Winley. Now, uh, I'm going to say this right now. We have had a huge response regarding uh, Sally Winley's comments about Utes, uh, and uh, you've got a big fan club here, uh, Sally. Love the Ute lady. Go, Sally. Uh, Sally, he tried to shoot you down and shame you. Don't give him any fish, <laughs> says John. All right. <clears throat> Um, dear Wallace, um, does Sally have a partner? <laughs> she sounds like a proper New Zealand female. That's Wiremu. Ah, so Kaupai Wiremu. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a proud owner of a Holden Ute, a beautiful car, like a low ride with sports car handling and formula no longer in production. It'll be far more economical and environmentally friendly to EV retrofit the car. Um, but not all are fans. Um, John, said, Doc, John says, why would Julia want to scare yummy mummies by revving the diesel ute? This is the kind of thing I hate. It's entitlement on wheels. And you can carry fish in the boot of a car, no trouble as I do. Oh, my fish are a lot bigger than yours. <laughs> they wouldn't fit in a boot. <laughs> Come on, let's be realistic. And my rifles too. What's a rifle? And the fishing rods. Right, okay, all right, fair enough, I fair enough. A, all right, you've made, you've made your 12 point. 12-gauge yeah. and a three oh eight. if you're asking. Gosh, okay. Oh, my goodness. All right, now, a survey from the Chief Censor has revealed how pervasive misinformation is in Aotearoa and how it's affecting our beliefs. Half of New Zealanders believe in some form of COVID-related misinformation and almost 20% hold at least three false beliefs, a new survey says. One in two Kiwis had at least one belief-based misinformation and one in five had at least three such beliefs. Now, these range from believing scientists are lying about the safety of vaccines, that 9-11 was a hoax, 1080 used to believing 5G communications caused COVID-19. The research was commissioned by the Office of Film and Literature Classification in a survey of 2,300 New Zealanders. Now, Kate Hannah is research fellow at the Department of Physics at the University of Auckland and project lead for the Disinformation Project. Te Punaha Matatini. Kate, kia ora. Welcome to the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, Sally and Martin. Kia ora. Kia ora. Now, yeah, so from this survey, it appears misinformation is widespread. Were you aware just... How widespread? Look, we've been um, reviewing misinformation over the last 18 months quite intensively, particularly in, the, in this COVID pandemic status. And, and it's pretty much as exactly what we've seen as well, which is that um, disinformation and misinformation is in a lot of places and people are exposed to it nearly every day. And I mean, looking at the looking at the, the stats here, one in two New Zealanders had at least one belief based in misinformation. I mean, really? Look, I mean, that it does seem surprising when you first hear it. But if you think about disinformation, it usually is grounded in some um, level of truth or some level of, of people's lived experience. And so, if that um, gels with somebody with their lived experience, they are likely to believe mm. it. You say that you're encouraged by the relatively low cut-through of COVID-19-related information, Kate. Yeah, look, it was encouraging. I mean, you've listed off some of the more discouraging findings from the survey data there, Wallace. But if you think about those key findings, even the New Zealanders who are um, susceptible and are listening to some of the aspects of disinformation are really concerned and worried about the impact of disinformation on their lives. 82% are somewhat or very concerned about the spread of misinformation. And, and 
more importantly, um, people are aware of where they're getting that from. They understand that perhaps um, the internet and an unreviewed um, and unmitigated access to information on social media might be part of this. Mm. Um, and they're worried about false information about COVID-19, even if they also at the same time might be believing some of that false information. Right. Yes, there's uh, what concerned me, you mentioned social media, but I've had two flyers in my mailbox in Central Auckland, they look very, they mm. look very official. They had a blue background, and it was, it looked legitimate. But then I read it and saw that it was just incomplete. That there'd been no proper research done on the vaccines, mm. and all these allegations. And then it said in small print at the bottom, "This is not to be taken as medical or legal advice." And it was the format and the formality of it mm. that threw me when I read the headline and I thought, gosh, so I'd be interested to know what what sort of, can any action be taken against this sort of horrendous misinformation? So um, I won't mention the groups that potentially were spreading that flyer that you're talking about, Sally. Obviously, we have been really interested in looking at the broad array of different types of misinformation that people have been exposed to. And um, in the case of some of those flyers, uh, some concerned citizens have reported them to the Advertising Standards Authority, and there have been some rulings. So there are regulatory ways in which people can make complaints. And it's really important if you do come across particularly COVID-19 or vaccine misinformation, you can do a report online to serve NZ, um, they're kind of going to the clearinghouse for that kind of reporting and they can file it through to other places if it comes under the BSA or the ASA or other regulations. Well, so I'm that, glad you were concerned, Sally. Oh, that's interesting. We saw that cert. I didn't know that. I, I found my mother, she's 83, she's been living with me recently. I found a bunch of those pamphlets just by the side of her bed. And I was really? Like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what, what is this? And she's oh, well, this is all about the COVID. And she was due to get the vaccine um, the, the following week. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 mum, like, this is, you know, we had, to, we had to talk about it. But I had no idea. But we talked about, well, how do you report this? How do you stop this happening? I didn't know you could report it. That's interesting. Mm. So when you say you report it to CERT, can you just elaborate yeah. for what that is? So and now I'm going to have to have my official government hat on, which I don't have an official government hat. CERT um, is the cybersecurity organisation. It's part of um, MB of the Ministry of Business Innovation um, and Economics, or whatever they're called. And um, that was where you might report a scam, you know, an online scam, the kind of um, the email scam, or, or somebody um, trying to fish your emails. And mm. in more recent times, they've um, taken on this new role of being a clearinghouse for COVID-19 um, disinformation, and particularly information about the vaccine and so people are reporting to CERT and you can mm. if you jump on CERT um, dot gov dot nz um, mm. that's where you can find that information yeah yeah uh, a bit of a bit of response on this actually uh, I am in Christchurch and had the same experience as your panelists two flyers within a week but I want to ask you Kate I mean um, we have always had misinformation in some form, but do you think the Trump era or, or, or that particular era in US politics at least helped legitimise or at least push to the surface views that might otherwise have been considered marginal? I think you're really on the ball there, Wallace, and, but there's been a range of different um, international uh, kind of waves of thinking about um, 
fake news, propaganda, disinformation and misinformation. There's been manipulation of elections. There's been manipulation of communities. We've seen things around Brexit. We've seen things in the UK. Right. Um, there's been a huge amount of manipulation internationally and in other non-English-speaking jurisdictions of mainstream media and social media. And so all of those things lead to a lack of trust and transparency, which you, people are reacting to. How do you, how do you talk to somebody that is, one of, that, is, you know, that is right into these conspiracy theories and you know, they they believe with such fervor, mm. like yeah, you, know, you, you can't even reason with them at times. It's like how do you how do you even begin a discussion with them? And go look, you're wrong, or the facts <laughs> are the facts. I mean, like where where do you begin? It's like it's beating your head against a brick wall, aren't you? Sometimes you, you, like. in a little way, many ways you are. But if it's somebody that you care about, that you have a relationship with, who who's a friend or a family member, and who you know you are in relationship and in in community with, it's good to just start with um trying to think about it from their perspective. Why have they become susceptible to this particular type of narrative or conspiracy theory? What about their experiences of life might have drawn them to it? And then talk to them not directly in the first instance about the conspiracy or, or the disinformation, but actually about about that experience and what you know what that's meant for them and why it's shaped their lives. And then kind of enter into it in that way where you talk to people through your relationship with them. Look, it's not an easy fix. This is all about, you know, speaking to people again and again and not starting with a you're wrong, but starting mm. with a, oh, I'm interested in why you feel that way. I'm interested in why you think that. Your final question, Sally. Yeah. This was really interesting, having you explain how we can complain and through what agencies and well, things. Well, by the way, can, can, I just, can I just jump in and just say, because people are asking, that uh, website again yeah. that Kate gave is um, CertNZ. So it's C-E-R-T dot G-O-V-T dot N-Z. So it's CertNZ. You can do it to a search. Yeah, that's exactly thank, what thank I was going to ask you. Um, hey, how, how are you going to get more people aware that this is available and that they can be proactive instead of thinking, oh, and throwing it in the bin. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I, obviously talking to people, things like that now, talking to you on the panel is a really good way of getting that message across. And I think as the vaccine rolls out, there will be more awareness and more publicity of the places that people can report. And people should always feel empowered um, to ask questions about stuff that's coming through their mailbox um, or into mm-hmm. the inboxes or across, you know, their um, social media feeds. Who's saying it? Why are they saying it? Mm. And, and who's benefiting from it? Does it cross over into a hate speech thing? Maybe we're talking about hate speech at the moment. You know, if it if it starts to cause some sort of malice or harm, does it cross does it cross a line there? I don't. Know. I know you want to finish, but yeah. I mean, I think it, it potentially can. Um, in that there is definitely harm. I know that people who've experienced um, getting the flyers that that everyone's spoken about. People who um, are vulnerable to COVID-19 have found that actually getting those um, those flyers in their litter box can be quite confronting and upsetting mm. when they know how vulnerable they personally would be if they were, got infected. And so there is a, definitely an element of, of harm um, and what we might call um, in the field that I study sort of hateful or um, violent expression, you know, that it actually is, is it's getting towards the point of, of really upsetting people and maybe groups of people who are being targeted um, for their character characteristics, you know, in the human rights sense. Right. Uh, nice to have you on the programme, Kate. Appreciate it. That is, no worries, uh, Kate, Kate Hanna there, project lead for the Disinformation Project at the University of Auckland. 18 past four, the panel.
It's the biggest shake-up of water and sewage infrastructure seen in generations in Aotearoa. The government wants to create publicly-owned providers responsible for all of New Zealand's drinking, wastewater and stormwater services. The four entities would be run by boards appointed with input from councils and with expertise in water infrastructure. Mana Whenua would have joint oversight. Minister Mahuti said, uh, Mahuta said, We've seen the effects of a system of crisis. Fatalities from bacteria and drinking water, broken sewer pipes, poorly treated wastewater running into streams and rivers, no swim notices at the beaches, regular boil water notices and lead contamination. So to discuss this is the Mayor of Timaru, Nigel Bowen. Nigel, welcome to the programme. Uh, g'day, how are you? Good. So water services of 67 councils down to four bodies. That's your water, Nigel. What do you think? Yeah, look, I'm uh, really concerned about this. It's uh, something that I, I know uh, without even, uh, you know, being able to consult with them, the community is going to be really worried. Uh, you know, for an, a, a provincial town uh, district the size of uh, Timaru, we're really concerned about, you know, the layers of reform that are coming and affecting our area. So, um, you know, it's just one thing on the back of another, uh, you know, another. And, and we believe we do uh, the three waters uh, really well. We've got the best uh, tap water uh, drinking water in the country uh, two years in a row uh, and our team do a, a fantastic job so we're really concerned about this one size fits all approach and that we're having assets taken um, taken off the councils. Is this not a recognition though that actually many councils aren't delivering appropriate water services be it no swim notices, wastewater running into streams, regular boil water notices and such like and this is actually a way to uh, collectively save New Zealanders actually a lot of money on their rates. Yeah, look, uh, I think we would all agree that there is, you know, issues. There's some, you know, topical ones with the likes of Wellington, uh, obviously with, um, you know, sewage issues, et cetera. And I just don't think you can have that, you know, broad brush approach across all councils. So, you know, there's councils that will be doing it well, there's councils that uh, that aren't. And so, yes, there is a problem and uh, there's some issues, but, you know, what is a partnership that we can work together with central government to uh, resolve this? Uh, we all acknowledge that councils aren't perfect, uh, but central government isn't perfect either. So how can we work together uh, without having to, you know, central, centralise everything? It just seem, it seems to be the theme of the year. Okay, what about but, you? Because what about you, Sally? Uh, well, I uh, the Auckland system, it's shocking, as you say, Wallace. You know, the, well, you're next to the beaches, no swim. Yeah, no Central. swim, and the kids do sea scouts, and they have to hose down every time they come back from the estuary. Do they? And the dog gets some um, scabs on its mm. uh, stomach. They say, don't go swimming down there because it's polluted in the dog park. So... I hear what you're saying down south, but um, if you if this was made to happen, you could you could give advice and show dysfunctional and um, badly run, badly managed um, council water systems how to improve. Would you not be prepared to look at it from that perspective? Well, look, I think we have to be um, open to you know providing great drinking water. Uh, for everyone, but it, it's it's more than you know drinking water for for us. It, uh, you know the question is is not just about drinking water, uh, and you've made a great example of you know of swimmability. I assume it's sewage or uh, stormwater issues or, or something. Uh, it's uh, everything, all, all of those. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and uh, you know, if you look at Auckland as a great example, uh, you know, they think, or DIA is saying they're going to get some economies out of this, but pretty much the model that they want them to go to is the model that they're doing now or not too far from it. 
So you've got to ask the question whether this reform will actually, um, you know, change uh, the path of what's happening now for Auckland. So, yeah, I'm, I can't answer that. And I don't know if it will even happen, being sceptical and thinking this is the current government going, woohoo, this is the proposal. And I see in an article it says over the next 30 years. Um, I mean, that just seems such like a, a long time span. It needs to happen sooner yep. if it's going to happen. Well, shall we jump over to Martin? Because, Martin, mm. your city uh, has, I mean, let's just not mm. sort of um, relitigate the uh, litany of uh, yeah. woes, uh, the latest being on Friday afternoon, um, f- uh, faeces on Lambton Quay. It's just diabolical. I mean, I mean, even just trying to get here this afternoon from my office as an Oriental Parade, you just go past a multitude of works that are going on to repair the, um, the the drainage in the sewage system. It's just unforgivable, I think. I think it just shows years of neglect of, of investment in the infrastructure in this city. Um, and I just think, you know, um, I'm kind of um, on the side of Timaru here, I think. It seems like taking a sledgehammer to a problem uh, that actually is probably best looked after by those local regional councils. Um, you know, they're, they're probably closer to it, but places like the main, the main centres, are they've screwed up here, and the smaller guys are being made to pay for it. But uh, the regional councils are obviously not doing it well enough because look what we were all talking about. Yeah, that's something what, needs to happen. Yeah, something so, needs to, something, I mean, like, they haven't done a great job of it so far, right? So, okay, so Nigel, can I just ask you then, as, as Mayor yeah, sure. Timadu, uh, so I, I understand that Mayor Phil Goff, he's saying he's not, gonna buy, he's not buying into this. It, it, it would take away the council's voice. And as I understand it, he, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he might, he, thinking he might pull out of this, uh, this, this scenario, what would, what would Timadu do? Yeah, so Under we, your uh, watch. Yeah, no, totally. Like I said a year ago, um, that I was sceptical about the path of the reform, and, and our governance team, we discussed it yesterday, and, and we're in a default position uh, of being out of the reform, so it would take a lot to convince us that we need to. And look, our, our, our district's quite uh, different, and bearing in mind that I'm elected to make a decision, you know, for the uh, in the best interest of the Timaru district ratepayers, and uh, Timaru urban water, 50% of that actually service, services commercial and industrial as well. So it's a real um, question around control of the economic enablement as well. So it's a bigger it's a bigger conversation for us just than delivering uh, potable water for uh, consumers. All right. Uh, t- uh, no, actually, we've got to move on. No, no, uh, uh, Nigel guest- wants to come to Wellington uh, and run for mayor here. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next guest is, is waiting on the line, but for now, Mayor of Timaru, Nigel Bowen, thank you uh, for your time. 25 past four. Now, let's go to Blenheim now. And in completely different news, the Radio Control Car Club sadly lost their ground. The Facebook post saying, it is with sad news that we regret to inform all members and followers of the Blenheim Radio Radio Control Car Club that we've lost our land we currently occupy at the Riverlands Roadhouse Truck Stop as part of the Truck Stop Expansion Programme. We have one last race day planned for the 11th of July and it'd be great to see all come along to commence the deconstruction and reinstate the land. So to discuss on this sad day is Mark Cheers from the Blenheim Radio Control Car Club. Mark, welcome. How are you going? Good. This must hit pretty hard. I mean, it looks like a pretty tight community by the images on Facebook. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a tight community of a, well, grown men playing with toy cars, but um, it's a small group. It's a niche group and... Um, it's one of the best facilities we have in, in New Zealand, the Blenheim Track. A lot of work's gone into it. And, um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame because it's a great location where, where, it's, where it is located. And How come you have to give up the land? How come you have to give it up? A design and build leaseback. Nice land. What's land worth in New Zealand? Everyone knows what that's worth. So the, the landowner uh, have sectioned it off and um, asking for someone to come along and build their warehouse there. 
Are you, well, have you looked if there's around and seeing if there's any council land or something you could potentially use instead? Yeah, we are. Um, we are talking to the local councils. Um, we've got a bit of dialogue going there. It's, um, we're talking to the Eastern State Speedway as well. We're going to have a talk to them, but um, it's, 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 we don't ask. We don't need a lot of land. I mean, really. So I was about to ask how much land do you need, Mark? I mean, there's quite a lot. This is substantial. No, no. no it's a hundred metres by sixty oh, metres. Lord, it's pretty small wee area, and, uh, and enough. You know, park a few cars, and, and away you go. Um, did, to Mike, yeah. Did you say there's a speedway? Uh, there is a speedway in Blenheim, and someone, you, someone made, made the point of talking to them to see if we could go on there. They have a lot of yeah, land. Could you go? Could you go yeah. in the middle of it, maybe? Oh well, no, we um no. There's quite there's a bit of infrastructure required to, to have a track. Um, mm. Yeah, just looking looking at the uh, one of the one of the reasons why I brought this up was because it it did seem like a quite a community of people who like minded mm. people. I am gonna, gonna you know gonna say gr- grown men, uh, you know, with their with their remote controls in the hand, the cars going round. What's the attraction of remote control cars? You can't get injured, can you? Where um, a lot of us are, motocross riders, ex ex downhillers. Oh, um, really? All got busted knees and broken backs, and now you just stand there and throw a toy car around the place. How fast do they go? Well, they have they have amazing power. Their little engines are um, three and a half cc with about two and a half horsepower, um, and they the, you know you pick them up in your hand. Uh, they run a nitro nitro methanol. Um, some of them are electric powered ones are just as fast. Wow. As well. I get, I, get, I get where Mark's coming from here. I've got a mate of mine who's into slot cars. He's my age, 56. A bit older, actually. Sorry, he's just 60. Same sort of thing. Grown men playing with slot cars around a track. But, my God, it is serious. You know, yeah, like you, don't want, you don't want to get in the way of it. And when you say people don't get injured in it, I've seen some, you know, I've heard of some pretty serious stories about when the competitions get going. But they have, like, 24-hour races. It's, you know, it's a full-on community, right, around it. And um, of, of a group of guys that wouldn't normally hang out together. Yeah, they come together every week and do the slot car thing. So I, yeah, I, I um, totally get it. RC car racing is the same. We had the Nationals there in, in March. We had um, oh, there were seven or 80 guys from all around New Zealand. We come there, we hang out on the track from you know, practice Thursday and race yeah. through to Sunday. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a good fun. It's um, RC holidays, we call them, when you, you, know, you back up and you go and get away from your, your normal life and, and then go back to it on Monday. And this, 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 by the sounds of it, it gets quite competitive. This is not just a sort of an, uh, uh, just a, uh, you know, it's a uh, serious. It's a, yeah. it's a serious hobby, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, you spend a fair bit of money, and, and the competition is. Um, I mean, the the main finals of a nitro race are sixty minutes long, forty five to sixty minutes long. So you need a, um, you need a guy, you need a guy down there in the in the pit lane. He fills you up every seven or eight minutes, <laughs> and um, you've got you've got intercom. I love it. And, um, it's, it's really good fun. Yeah. Uh, Richard hey, says. Oh, I was going to say sorry, Sally. Richard says um, I was a member of a remote con- remote control car club and would meet up on a Wednesday and have some fun. I loved it. It should be considered good community activity. This is a shame to remove this one. Final response, Sally. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, in your um, Facebook, you say that you need help. Um, what sort of response yeah. have you had? How's that going? Well, it's interesting. I just I, we talked to um, the local radio station. Um, I made a few comments. We should. We should pretend we're closing tracks down uh, twice a year because you get more interest than you ever get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, help, the help we need is, is just a bit of land, really. Um, I mean, the other tracks around New Zealand, a lot of them are on council land. Some of them are on like, um, AMP, the Nelson track. Um, that's on AMP showgrounds. They've got some leftover land down there, which that track's been there for 10 years. Um, so it's just it's a bit of land. Um, there's not a lot of infrastructure. All we do is put a container on the site and then build a lean-to on it, and that's where we stand up and drive the toy cars from.
Good on you, Mark. Sort of sort nice of men's to, shed or something like yeah, that. Yeah, nice to have you on the program. Uh, and uh, so a call out for anybody who does have a bit of spare land in the Blenheim area. Uh, get in touch with the Blenheim Radio Co- Radio Control Car Club. You are on the panel uh, in Z National, Sally Wenley. And Martin Bosley is with me this afternoon. And it's time for Headlines.